This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Shreen Ahmed, a writer, public speaker, and sports activist in Toronto, Brenda Elsie, an associate professor of history at Hofstra on Long Island, and Lindsay Gibbs, the creator of Power Plays, a no-bullshit newsletter about sexism in sports that arrives right in your inbox three days a week. First things first, our thoughts and thanks go out to all the people who are on the front lines of the continuing COVID-19 pandemic. We are keeping all of you in our thoughts. As always, thank you to our patrons who supported this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign, Make Burn It All Down Possible. We are forever and always grateful. If you'd like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com slash burnitalldown. For as little as $2 per month, you can access exclusives like extra Patreon-only segments or our monthly behind-the-scenes vlog. We've recently posted a long vlog for March-April with all the co-hosts involved and just did a Patreon segment for for April with Amira, and we talk about Quidditch. Amira's adorable on the whole thing. On today's show, we're going to talk about Bundesliga's return. Shireen interviews Somali British referee Phenom Jawahir Robley about her meteoric rise, how Robley is training during the month of Ramadan, and what it's like to hang out with supermodel friends. Then we will turn our attention to women's hockey, specifically the NWHL. And of course, we'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shout outs to women who deserve shout-outs, and telling you what is good in our worlds. But first, before we get into all of that, some not bad news. I don't want to say it's good, necessarily, as it should have happened years ago. But still, FIFA announced this week that it will select the hosts of the Women's World Cup in 2023, which is only a few years away at this point. They'll do this on June 25th at its online council meeting, The four countries in the running are Australia slash New Zealand, Brazil, Colombia, and Japan. So if you got to pick, where would you all have the 2023 World Cup from among these finalists? Brenda, I can guess. Obviously Brazil. (laughs) There's not a question. First of all, it's never been anywhere, you know, in the global south, right? And I would let never in coma ball. It was, it's never been in a coma ball country. And it has been in the Asian Confederation, obviously. It has been in CONCACAF. It has been in UEFA. So I, I see it as either Africa or um, South America at this point and use all the resources that were spent to make the enormously ridiculous mega event that was the 2016 Rio Olympics and the 2014 Men's World Cup, right? So like for me, and it would give so much attention. I don't know. I would love it. Okay. And Brazil's awesome. And it's a great time zone. <laughs> uh, Shireen. So, yeah, I love Brazil. Absolutely. I'm very reluctant to say anything that isn't yay Brazil because of Brenda. But you know what? <laughs> Australia. Australia, I'm very happy. Hi, and Odong, Moya Dawn, and all our friends of the show down there. I maybe it has something to do with the fact that I was supposed to be there actually like next week, and that didn't obviously happen. But I just think that, you know, it would be great. Burn It All Down has a lot of lovely friends in Australia, friends of the show. And I think that it would just be great and we could all go to Australia. So that being said, I also, I also love Brazil. Love it. 
Yeah, I'm willing to go on a Vernon all down trip to either of those places. Lindsay? <laughs> <laughs> I am willing, but I think for me, it is much more practical. Like, I feel like I could get to Colombia or Brazil easier, and the time zone's way better if I can't. <laughs> so, watching it uh, oh, re- realistically, excellent, yeah. excellent point. Maybe maybe I should have more hope that I'm going to have tons of money and lots of sponsors in a few years that are going to send me to Australia or New Zealand. But practically, I would really love Colombia or Brazil because I just think that would be logistically much easier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm selfish. Oh. So I'm, this is personal. So I'm going to be personal about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like I am now swayed to say Brazil. <laughs> Yay! I think I think you guys won me over. I mean, I obviously would like to go to Australia, New Zealand, like anyone. But man, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, we'll find out what what I don't even know what today is. Like in a month or so. <laughs> so roughly speaking, that's what I think is right. Okay, so that'll be fun, and I'm sure we will be talking about that plenty in the future. So now on to the show. Brenda, please get us started on Bundesliga's return this weekend. Right. So Bundesliga was back, making it the first major sports league, as far as I know, to reappear during the COVID-19 pandemic. Bundesliga, it was interesting because you saw this sort of rush for people to figure out, you know, what does Bundesliga mean for me? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, Everyone's an expert now. Yeah. Yeah, U.S. fans in particular. And and so a couple things. For one thing, Bundesliga is the best attended league in the world. And so that's really important for people to know. And it's one of the reasons it's so especially eerie and sad for a lot of people to see the empty stands, the goal celebrations to nobody. And various polls seem to indicate that a slight majority of Germans actually disagreed with the decision to return. And I think Shireen's going to talk a little bit more about that. For people who don't know, historically, Germany's played football since the 19th nineteenth century, but for you know World War reasons, Bundesliga didn't really get going until the 1960s. They had like a rough patch there in the first half of the 20th century. <laughs> so, and so really, it was the 1962 World Cup in Chile where Germany, West Germany, put in a really poor performance. And they said, okay, here we go. We need a real professional league. So basically, Bundesliga clubs build off of these mutually owned clubs that existed. So their league is not like the US league. Bundesliga clubs cannot be owned, it's called the 50 plus one rule, by a single entity, whether it's a person. Um, The only exception to that, so no individual is allowed to own more than 49% of any Bundesliga club. The only exception to that are P- are clubs that are in different divisions right now because they were founded as factory clubs. So that might be, be like a little bit interesting for people. It's a, di- a very different model. Uh, they're supposed to be focused on social good. It's it's supposed to retain that. Couple people, the general U.S. and and Canadian and European audiences might be particularly interested in is Giovanni Reina whose dad played for the U.S. men's team and mom played for the U.S. women's team. And so a lot of people were excited with him. He's at Dortmund, but he was injured. But my favorite person to have an eye on is Erling Holland, who you can say, because it's Bundesliga, is the Norwegian Wunderkind. He plays for Dortmund, and he's just a really amazing player, and I've got my eye on him. So a lot of people are excited about that. In general, Bundesliga dominated by Baron and, and Dortmund. And I'm going to mispronounce all of these names, um, as I do, but since the British casters and U.S. casters always pronounce them wrong, I don't feel that bad. And then the last thing I just want to say about Bundesliga that makes it particularly exciting that lots of people who aren't soccer people or football people uh, might not appreciate is that there's relegation. Ta-da! What does that mean? Uh, Relegation is that if you (laughs) end up at the bottom of the table, um, you leave the first division. I've never understood U.S. sports, like why this doesn't exist. It is so much more exciting. It is X amount exciting. And it means if you see toward the end of the season, the last place team play the first place team or any of those matches because points determine it, right? You're, you still give a shit. You know, it's not just like a throwaway game where you're going to bench X person. Like it matters. So anyway, 
that's my kind of rundown of the Bundesliga. I'm scared for everyone and any uptick in infections, but I also found it fascinating. Huh. Thanks, Bren. Appreciate that. Shereen. Yeah, thanks for that, Bren. Um, Bundesliga, and especially Frauen Bundesliga, is probably one of my favorite leagues. Frauen means women's. And, you know, we I talk a lot about OL. I'm like literally shining right now because I love talking about football. I think that like Frauen Bundesliga in particular Wolfsburg is the strong one of the strongest teams in the entire in, in, in all of the world. Um they, you know, people usually are like, oh it's Olympique Lyonnais and you know I'm I stand them as well, no doubt. But Wolfsburg actually has really it's a really great treatment of the player of the women. And they're very, very well attended matches, extremely well attended matches and have huge support. I just wanted to talk about something that talking about players and player focused ideas. And, and, and sort of intentions, I wanted to talk about how the players felt about this. So I started to do a little digging and I spoke with a friend of the show, Mar Pfeiffer, who is part of the FUF podcast. They're friends of the show in Germany and they're really huge Bayad fans and we love their work. So I was just chatting with Mara, who was on BBC on Friday for an interview. And she was telling me and a lot of the, my German's very limited. So I was, you know, asking her about some of the players and she sent me some articles in German. And I thought this was extremely helpful because they're literally, as you could say, from the horse's mouth. I mean, there's one player who plays for Union Berlin, whose, whose name is Nevin Subotic. And he stated, and all the quotes are in German that are translated into English now, said that he was disappointed that all players were informed after all decisions were made, meaning the players had no input into this. And that's problematic because it really becomes a situation of are you being endangered in your workspace, right? And there is a player of FC Köln who is Burger Vestrate, and he said, quote, the virus shows once again that you have to take it seriously, unquote. Now, that's a very intense statement. It's basically saying that he doesn't feel. Now, a little bit of something interesting with Kolnospirala, he's Kolnospirala just means a player for, for that. I just like love the way German sounds. I want to say that all the time. After his interview went out with FC Köln, the club had another statement and they said that there was a misunderstanding and everything's fine. So they did that after his, and that is very suspicious to me. So I like to go with the underdogs who are Dortmund, and they just won the first match against Schalke, yes, on Friday. No, Saturday, sorry. I don't even know what, what day is it. Like, I don't even know what day it is. And they won 4 nothing. So they're really, it's very exciting what's happening. I feel this is Dortmund's year. I say this absolutely every year. I'm just not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. There are there's no fans, but that's not the point. And I remember in Mara's interview, she was saying that the fans are very mixed about this. Dortmund fans are so proud of their, 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 like their fandom. The supporters for this team are everything. And what ends up happening is that you've got the, the televisors of the show, the telecasters of the show are putting in crowd noises, even though the stadiums are empty. And a lot of players are finding this insulting. Like you're, minimizing our role in who we are. So there's there's a lot of stuff. And I mean, there's concerns within Germany that people would gather anyway. There was th that fans would gather in huge spaces anyway, despite, you know, restrictions. So there's concerns about that. I haven't, I don't know what's as a result. We'll see as time goes on what happens, but I'm just really hoping that there's things like being done, like the ball is being sanitized, the ball, like the ball boys, the ball girls, the youth that grab them, they're, you know, sanitizing their hands and stuff like this. But friends, I love football, but this is very risky. But I mean, earlier this month, 10 players, they tested everyone in the uh, top two divisions of the league. That's over 1700 people. 10 were found to have the virus, most of them asymptomatic. So that was, you know, early May. And then in the run up to the league actually starting this weekend, there were like multiple instances where people were not following the rules. So one coach said during a news conference that he broke a mandatory seven-day training camp quarantine for players and staff before the league resumed so that he could go shop for toothpaste and skin cream at a nearby supermarket. He then had to rule himself out of this weekend's game so that the team wouldn't get a strike against it for breaking the COVID rules. 
Uh, late on Friday, one club announced that a player had been placed under a two-week quarantine due to a positive test by somebody in his personal circle. Earlier this week, an even different team cut short their seven-day quarantine to just six days because their hotel opened only on Monday. And then another player for yet another team broadcast a live stream showing social distancing measures being flouted at the Capitol Club. He was then immediately suspended by his club. So even in the run-up to like this major league coming back, they've had all this trouble getting the actual people involved to follow all the rules that they've laid out. And they already know that they have players within the league who are asymptomatic carrying COVID. It'll just be really interesting, I think, to see how successful Bundesliga is. Um, And like Shereen said, we'll have to wait and see sort of how this unfolds. I mean, we know that the infection can take, you know, two weeks to show itself if you actually get sick. I don't know what other leagues are going to learn from this, but it just seems real risky based on everything that's happened so far. But let's talk a little fandom here. So Brenda, knowing that we are all not big German soccer fans, sent us a quiz to see which team we should be rooting for. We will have this link in the show notes. So if you too also need to find your Bundesliga (laughs) team. Um, So Brenda, which team did you get? Who will you be rooting Um, for? Okay, so Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is, <laughs> we are in third place right now, and we have c- great colors, green and black, which I love, green, black, and white, and we were founded in 1900 and located in, like, the northwest of Germany, like, close to the Netherlands, kind of. Okay, I have the same team, so I let Brenda pronounce it for me. <laughs> Um, and I was, and by preparation, I was looking at the Telegraph Live blog of their match. They won yesterday against Frankfurt. And my favorite thing was that when Frankfurt scored their one goal, the live blog said, quote, the stadium announcer plays loud music and does a full announcement to nobody, remember, to make sure they, nobody, knows who scored, which I just think is a really <laughs> good example of how weird this is. Lindsay, who are you going to be rooting for in the Bundesliga? RB Leipzig. And oh. I'm sure I butcher that. And I have a feeling they're really bad because on all of my answers, I was like, in the quiz, I kept being like, I love underdogs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my feeling is that this team sucks, but, you know, uh, we'll just have to you're see. You're in fourth place. Okay. It's oh, not so bad. There was a draw. Right, they, so- they, got, they, they, they had a tie yesterday. So, you know, not, they didn't lose. So that's good. Right? All right. Yeah. All right. Okay, Shereen. Um, and- but, oh, yeah. sorry. I... <laughs> I know these. I know these quizzes are rigged, so I picked. They were like, "What's your favorite?" You animal? rigged I'm it like, to get your bee. answer. No, well, I, I know you asked me if I like <laughs> bees, totally. and I'm like bees, of course. I want Dortmund. I can't come out with like Leipzig. No offense, Lindsay. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm Dortmund or die. So I was, you know, like, did just, you get Dortmund? I did get Dortmund. Oh. We were founded in 1909. It's a big deal. And, you know, it's just, it's, there's good, there's good politics too at Dortmund. So I think that uh, when I posted out about Dortmund, because I've never seen so much Bundesliga on my timeline as everybody's out here loving German soccer now, which I think is hilarious, like foosball, like everything, and which is a lot of fun. But just a gentle reminder to everybody to please, please watch the woman's side too. This is very important and it's, it's riveting. It's fantastic. I just can't implore everybody enough to please, please remember the Frauen. Up next, Shireen interviews Somali British refereeing Phenom Jawahir Robley about Robley's meteoric rise, how she is training during the month of Ramadan, and what it's like to hang out with supermodel friends. Hello, flamethrowers. Shireen here. I hope everyone is keeping safe and healthy during this time. We just wanted to check in on the other side of the pond, and I'm so excited to have with us on the show today one of my faves coming to us from Northwest London, Jawahir Robli, who is a phenom. And I'll get a little more into detail about that. This 26-year-old refereeing sensation um, is a Somali-born British football referee. And she did grow up in London, and she's one of many siblings. Her work promoting Black and Muslim youth in sport is just a piece of what she does. She is doing and known for mentorship, coaching, and refereeing. She is the first FA-sanctioned 
Muslim hijabi referee in England. She has done notable collaborations with Nike London, has worked with Football Beyond Borders, has many, many awards to her name, including a Respect Award, the 2017 FA Football Association Respect Award, and the Sports Personality Award for Somali Achievement. Her favorite food is lasagna and sushi. Not only is she a coach and an ambassador for football in general, she's absolutely badass on the pitch, and I adore her. Welcome, JJ. Oh, thank you so much. Such a beautiful introduction. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I could talk about you all day. In fact, I include you when I do work and do presentations about Muslim women in sport. You are definitely, oh. you're, yeah, I always include your, you, you know, I love, I love seeing you and the clips of you and you speaking and you basically owning everyone on the pitch is so, is so wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm fasting today. Nearly about to break my fasts couple of hours left. I am chilling at home, doing some reading. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Ramadan is different this year, but it's it's nice to be able to, you know, see what mm-hmm. everyone else is doing in the world. And so we were just chatting about this before we started recording. So yeah. you were right now in a program at UCFB, which is yeah. the University Campus of Football Business, doing actually a degree in football and with a specialty, obviously, in refereeing. So how are you keeping up with your training during Ramadan? <laughs> I have never honestly been I've never imagined to be in quarantine with Ramadan and training this honestly has challenged me so much but because I've worked so hard I don't want to come off that routine I don't want to use Ramadan and quarantine as an excuse I got all the anything that I can find so I'm using t-shirts for bibs I'm using random equipments that I can find in the house to train and just to at least try and keep that same routine up. But it's it's going okay so far. The Daily Telegraph called you, I think it was one of the most phenomenal, you called you the most phenomenal referee in England. <laughs> and I think that that's really interesting and something I want to talk about. Like we know that part of Somali culture is very much about sports. A lot of people don't realize this. It's no surprise because there's so much love for basketball, for football. How did you get into officiating? Because that's a little bit different. And I don't see a lot of, I want to see more women officiating, but how did you fall in love with being a referee? I, at the beginning, honestly, have never dreamt of ever becoming a referee. So the way it came about was I was volunteering at this local girls club and one of the referees who usually turns up did not come that weekend. And the lady who was in charge of the whole place said to me, JJ, please get out of the, like, you can, because my task was to look, to register the girls that come, the teams, you know, give them uh, equipment. That was literally my job. And then mm-hmm. the lady was like, uh, JJ, can you please, you know, go to that pitch number and look after the girls because they haven't got a referee. And I was like, I, but I haven't refereed before. She was like, JJ, you're a coach. So at this at this time, I was a coach. I wasn't playing a lot, but she was like, JJ, you're a coach. You have, you, you've played football. You have a bit of an idea. And they're only like six, five-year-olds. Come on. And I was like, okay. I was a bit... <laughs> I was a bit nervous, and I was like, "Okay, let me let me do this." And she gave me, you know, all the all the gears that I needed. And then I went over, and the parents were so lovely. They were like, "You're covering for our regular referee." I was like, "Yes." And they were like, "It's lovely to see a female referee, you know, because they're they're little girls. It's it's nice so that they can look up to you." And I was like, "Oh wow, this is so nice. Like I'm getting nice feedback week in week out." And then I continued. Next thing you know, I'm in the refereeing course. Honestly, it's just. I fell in love with it after, you know, I've got so much feedback from parents. And then I was like, you know what, let me see if I can actually, you know, challenge myself to do adults. I started doing adult um, male. I should have started with adult female at least, but, you know, it is what it is. I I researched local leagues in my area and then this one league came up and then I was like, wow, it's not that bad, you know. So Middlesex FA gave you an opportunity to train very, you know, for the official examinations. And how was that? How were those exams? Were they difficult? Did you study a lot? Were you nervous? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, at the beginning, they tell you you only need three days, and then you have an exam, and then after you, you're good. And I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna learn everything I need to learn in three days." There's, I'm definitely gonna fail and then retake it, and then fail and then retake it. <laughs> I was literally, I was ready for. It. I was like, "There's no way." But luckily, the guy who was running the course, he was so honestly, he was so clear. The way he was, I don't know, the way he explained it. He showed us clips. He's like, "What would you do in this situation?" And then at the beginning, like everyone was confused because the people that all were gonna do the course. Either like they were injured, they didn't want to, you know, play football anymore. But at least they got ready for it mentally. I didn't get ready for it mentally. I was like, you know, it's a free course, and plus refereeing is, it's something that I can do maybe if I'm ever needed. Like the situation I was in last time, like I refereed without even having a, a, a court, uh, you know, the badge. So I was like, just in case I'm ever needed again, let me do it. I didn't do it so that I can become a professional. So I was like. You know, let me just have a go at it. And then the guy was so supportive. He's like, "It's nice to see a female doing this." So he was giving me a lot of, you know, praise. He was like, "Well done, keep going." And then we would go outside, and they would do a, a an actual scenario where you know the referees that were on the course would play, and then you have two or three on the side observing the game. So we would mm. play, and then we take turns. So we literally understood referee in such a short period and I was so impressed the exam itself was not that difficult because like, I'm dyslexic and it, it was so nice seeing it in practical there was a lot of videos there was a lot of interactivity if it was theory based hey I'm failing that so it was good and like I have been so delighted to watch your star rise mashallah like just seeing you. you okay first of all girl seeing your face <laughs> on nike london commercials um, is oh, wonderful <laughs> because it's it's so important for young black muslim girls to see themselves now the yeah. thing that i was going to ask you was that you know there's role models in in players and mm -hmm. you know annie zaidi who has been coaching is somebody that we can look up to as a coach but you've mm -hmm. gone into this new vertical of officiating how important and what has that influence been like for girls to see themselves as referees? Because normally you think players, a coach. So what do you feel like that impact has had? Have girls come up to you? Have they told you? Has there been like an imprint in refereeing? Have people joined because of you? Yes, a lot of people, I think, especially from my area, have considered and especially the boys, they have said jay can you please tell us where we can register to become referee and i was like okay here's the link i sent it to them and with the girls i would say they are considering it in their head like i don't know a girl that actually said i want a referee and like can you help me can you like do like there hasn't been any girls just yet but um when i coach them i'm like to them girls if football like playing does not work out you know there's other avenues that you can go into so I'm always like promoting referee and, and making sure that you know it's at the back of their mind because it was never at the back of my mind and it was just mm -hmm. my luck and mm -hmm. me always giving awareness I think that is a big step and mm -hmm. maybe two three years hopefully I'll see more girls picking refereeing up and to be honest, my plan is now that um, I'm nearly done with the university, my plan is to set up a female refereeing group. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be focusing purely on refereeing. I'm going to, you know, help them find mentors and then just just create them like literally from scratch. That's the plan. And because there's a need for it. There is a need for it, honestly. Not just, you know, um, in my area, it's within UK, the whole world, honestly, there's not enough because the gap, this is how it is. The football is growing within the female um, field. So it's nice to also see referees, refereeing growing as well, side by side. It's nice to have female referees officiate in, in a women's game. By the way, you did tell me about hanging out with Halima Aiden because that's kind of a big deal. Oh, Halima Aiden, oh my gosh, I've been looking up to her for so long, and then I was like, oh my gosh, is this actually you, I saw her at one event, I was like, mashallah, you are <laughs> more beautiful in real life, literally, I was gobsmacked, she's so beautiful, she's stunning, and she's so humble, like, literally, we were just talking about some random things, cracking up random jokes, it was so good, it was so good, you would love her, man, you would love her. 
you have a star-studded crowd, and that's great. But what's what's which is amazing? I was so excited. I think I was screaming when I looked at my phone. Um, you, you've done such important work, leaving the collaborations with Football Beyond Borders, who mm-hmm. are an incredible organization of grassroots football. Mm-hmm. What is next for you? What is next for me? Like your goal. Honestly, my ultimate goal is to get as many female referees. I want to recruit as many female referees, get as many girls playing football, get as many coaches. Honestly, it's just pure football. And I just want, you know, one day when I'm retired, at least I can say I've encouraged, I've, you know, inspired this many people to, you know, start football, start refereeing, start coaching. Literally that my ultimate dream is to get as many people involved in football especially girls because sports is so Mm -hmm. important definitely I think that it's been incredible to watch you and see the impact that you've had and also I I can't begin to tell you the visual and and those of you of our listeners like we've talked about you on the show we you know I've mentioned you before to see the visual of you because you're not I mean, what you're like five two? Is it five three? Five two? <laughs> five three? Five three? Five three? Five three? Okay, we'll be generous, JJ. I know you're not like five four. So um, to see you on the pitch with these grown men, and you're like, there's something else that's so important about this is your demeanor. You're so calm. Like I will tell you, I refereed once in my life, and it was a disaster because I'm so frantic all the time. But your demeanor is so controlled. And is that the most important element of refereeing for you? Is to be controlled, like to be calm. To be calm, you have to be calm because there's so many things right, so many things happening around me when I'm refereeing. Is literally you have to focus on the tackle that's going to happen, that's about to happen. You have to focus on players that are literally, they ha- they they hurting each other for no reason. You have to focus on one guy who's all like on my, on my face. There's so many things to focus on. And sometimes it's so difficult, like especially at the level I'm at right now, there's not a system referees. So I'm handling everything on my own. Have to focus on. Yeah, so oh, managers, wow. yeah, managers are complaining so much. You have to... Or you have to manage the subs. There's so much to do. And then I'm like, you know what? Let me not panic. Like at the beginning, whoa, I was dying. I was like, whoa, this is too much. What am I going to do? But, you know, the more you do it, the better you get, the more confident I got. And honestly, I'm still learning a lot. And I can't wait to progress to the next level. And, you know, one day, see me at a final. See you at a Women's World Cup final, Men's World Cup. See you at a World Cup final. See me at a World Cup final. That's where I'll be at and your ticket will be sorted. Don't worry. Oh, girl. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just sit. I'll chill with Halima Eden in in a box somewhere. In a box. (laughs) I'm like, treat my girl. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on Burn It All Down. It's always a joy. And and thank you so much for making time for us. And I hope the rest of your Ramadan goes well and that you and your family are safe and healthy during this time. Thank you so much. Honestly, look after your family, look after everyone. I hope everyone is safe in your family too. And just chill and take every day as it comes, honestly, because it's a blessing right now to be at home and, you know, be with everyone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll talk soon, my friend. Definitely. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. So there's been a lot of discussion about the National Women's Hockey League over this last week. Last Sunday, I believe while we were recording last week's episode, the Victory Press dropped a long investigative piece about the NWHL titled Behind the Game, Former Players Detail Life in the NWHL. It was written by three people, Melissa Burgess, Kirsten Whalen, and Zoe Hayden, two of whom we've had on Burn It All Down. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail right now. We will link to the piece in our show notes. In broad strokes, the piece covers issues with poor facilities, locker rooms that were too small to accommodate teams, or no access to locker rooms or even bathrooms. Perhaps the most sensational bit is the recounting of players having to pee in garbage cans near the rink because once players had equipment on, they couldn't get to the only available bathrooms. Players talked to the Victory Press about lack of ice time, all kinds of transportation woes, and of course issues with being paid. The piece goes on to note that much of this has since been corrected and there's praise for the work of the NWHL Players Association. 
The backdrop to this is the folding of the Canadian Women's Hockey League last year, which we covered on this show in episode 101. The Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, the PWHPA, grew out of that. Here's how Kirsten Whalen described this back in episode 134 when Shereen interviewed her. Quote, Basically, in the weeks following the shuttering of the CWHL, a bunch of the top women's hockey players in the world, so the entirety of the U.S. and Canadian national teams, as well as most of the players who had previously played in the CWHL, and a large number of players who had played in the NWHL as well, got together and collectively took a stance that they were not going to be playing professional women's hockey in a league that existed in North America because they wanted to fight for a league that would provide the resources that they felt women's hockey needed and deserved. This matters because there's a lot of animosity between the NWHL and the PWHPA. In fact, when the Victory Press reached out to the NWHL for a statement about everything they were reporting in their piece, the NWHL responded, and this was the first sentence in their statement, quote, This is part of a continuous smear campaign by the PWHPA, which for more than a year has tried to eliminate the NWHL because they have told players that if our league folds, others would start a league for them. The NWHL goes on in their statement to say they've had a lot of improvements and are proud of their progress. Quote, these steps forward serve as our statements in response to this destructive and false narrative. I'm not an expert on women's hockey, and I won't pretend to be. I do think these moments, though, are always difficult. It's important to hold women's leagues responsible for issues like the ones addressed in the article. But we also have to simultaneously recognize and be sensitive to the reality that these leagues are often operating under cash-strapped constraints and also that the public and media tend to focus on women's sports when women's sports are struggling and not give much space for covering their successes. This is not at all true of the Victory Press, and I want to be really clear about that. They deeply cover women's hockey in all ways. This is more a point about which stories stick in people's minds and get picked up by larger media. To that end, I do just want to mention that there is also exciting news in the NWHL recently. There will be a new team in Toronto. And this past week, (laughs) they hired a woman general manager to steer their ship. Okay, enough for me. Shireen, what are your thoughts on the Victory Press article and the reactions to it? I do, first of all, want to say that I am a supporter independently of the Victory Press. I have a lot of respect for what they do. They've been covering women's hockey for a really long time. And I just think that like independent media is something that I like I believe in. So there's a lot of reaction to this article. And I think that there's one thing I did want to point out, that there's accusations that PWHPA and commentary flying around that they're anti-NWHL, but I think the distinction needs to be made that they're actually pro-labor. And I had an off-record conversation with somebody very knowledgeable in this field, and they were explaining that to me, just sort of to say that that's what the distinction is. It's being pro-labor doesn't necessarily mean that you're anti-something else. You just stand in your convictions. I just wanted to say that in this whole discussion, it's really important to remain balanced on this. I know this is not easy to do, but as a result of a lot of the kerfuffle, and I like that word kerfuffle, it Zoe ended up, who is the editor, ended up writing an editor's note on her personal medium site. And I think that like she was addressing a lot of the criticism. Like, why did you ask this question? One of the common critis- critiques of the piece was why aren't you providing a solution? Well, I think a reporter's job is to report. A reporter's job is to find a story and give the details. And I mean, if you're not comfortable with that aspect of journalism, I mean, nobody can do anything about that. But it was a very solid piece. They had, they cross-checked their facts. They made sure the fact that a lot of players didn't want to say that they were anonymous and didn't want to speak up publicly is also quite telling for me. Um, also, you know, so part of Zoe's response was very much that she didn't even think that she needed to do a response, but then she did. and. She said, unsurprisingly, and even the first line was obviously we expected that some reaction to this article would be very, very negative. I mean, when you start off something like that, no fluff, like she gets right into it. And people are saying that you shouldn't question this, this, this. And why are you talking about this? Because a lot of those things have been resolved. And I absolutely get that. But from a different point of view, it's important not to gloss over the history of what happened. And chronicling events in leagues, particularly with women's sports, is never a bad thing. We always have to see. And one of the responses was like, well, the WNBA, you know, didn't start off like where they are now. It took a long time. And I understand that. But initially when they started out, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lindsay, their salaries were like $45,000. That's absolutely not where the NWHL is. And I want to see women talking there. They were a little bit lower, but it was, yeah, better. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was like way better. So, I mean, there's, there's always, there's always, I think, ways that you can look at something. Thanks, Shireen. Lindsay, you, you're working on a piece about this, right? I started reporting a piece on the divided state of women's hockey for power plays back in like the last week in February, first week of March. And then, of course, the world stopped turning. So it got put on hold a little bit. Um, <laughs> but so for one weekend, I went up and I saw the Riveters play against the Buffalo Buttes in it was actually in, in Jersey. And then the next day I went and saw a PWHPA event. Uh, it says in Philly, but it was actually in Jersey as well um, at the Flyers Training Center. So it was a great time to kind of see both, you know, what was happening on both sides of the fence and to see um, and to talk to players who were involved on both, you know, both sides of the coin. And first of all, I got to say both places were packed, had a lot of fans. I mean, there are smaller venues, very small, you know, just a couple hundred each. But all the, fa- you know, all the people, the Riveters had a lot of dedicated fans they were talking about the playoff scenarios and you know breaking them down and in in merch and all this stuff and then the PWHPA was a lot of a lot of fans who have really never seen women's hockey up close that were just kind of in awe so both events were great and had a lot of enthusiasm but I think the divide here is just so tough because it speaks to just these two separate ways to go about progress and this is a conflict that we talk about here on burn it all down through lots of different areas, mainly kind of through activism, which is do you work within the systems that exist to make them better? Or do you push from outside for change? And the PWHPA players, you know, once the C-Dub folded and there was no big step forward, a lot of them did not trust the uh, NWHL enough to go back and work for them and for legitimate reasons. And they wanted to start this big, huge movement that would lead to a league that was supported maybe by somebody like the NHL that could really, you know, start a league that they were super proud of and that they felt had a future. You know, talking to one of the PWHPA players who was not one of the national team members, you know, she said she just wanted to be part of a collective movement and that it was going to take a big financial investment, that she was sick of incremental steps and that they need to make noise, like a little bit of money is not enough. It needs to be a living wage. Meanwhile, on the NWHL side, you have people like Anya Packer, who's the head of the Players Association there, and her wife, Madison Packer, is a player. And Anya has really kind of taken up the mantle for the players and decided that what the best thing to do is to fight within this system. So she's worked really hard on organizing and on pushing within the NWHL to make things better. So her, she told me, you know, in March, she said, you know, my thought process is to lean in and fix the problems. Player salaries were up 26% this season, or last season, I guess now. They had 6 million views on Twitch alone. And most importantly, there's now a 50-50 revenue share in the NWHL between players and ownership. And since that was um, born, which was about the exact same time the CWHL folded, like this was all going on at the same time, Anya said that she's been on every single call, every single sponsorship call <laughs> since the day that revenue share was finalized. So she knows the ins and outs of all these sponsorship deals since there's a 50-50 split. So there's more transparency than we've really ever seen before. So that's great too. <laughs> like, you know, that's that's phenomenal. The work that they've do, done is phenomenal. And Anya was very transparent with me about the fact that the PWHPA, their movements forced the NWHL to open its books and to be more transparent and to, you know, work harder um, to making things better. Of course, it's not perfect. I mean, most of those things that the Victory Press reported on, those horrible conditions, happened last season. Um, Anya released a statement, which was much better than the NWHL statement, <laughs> which was just the height of uh, hypoc- of just like petty pettiness. And she, you know, her statement said that, you know, she, um, the article addressing the shortcomings in, in, in WHL highlight problems that had risen to the NWHLPA. And most of the most egregious complaints were resolved within the season. And she said, you know, we're the NWHLPA, that is so many letters, 
want to reject these growing pains and really push for things to be better. So on the one hand, I have so much admiration towards the people working within the system that exists to make things better. On the other hand, I have so much respect for the people who are taking movements on the outside to make things better. One of the things, as Shireen alluded to, is there's been a lot of subtweeting. And, um, you know, there, uh, Hillary Knight, in, who's with the PWHPA, has called the NWHL a, a glorified beer league. Um, there have been articles written saying that there is no pro women's hockey league. And all of that stuff talking to NWHL players, it really hurts them. It's really hard to hear. During the draft, which we talked about, it went really well. There were players kind of saying uh, there were players on the PWHPA side subtweeting the NWHL about the quality of the players that were being drafted. The same thing happened when the Toronto team was announced. And this is really hurtful to so many within the WHL. I mean, there, there are people who you know work for the NWHL on the operations side who grew up admiring these women. Do you know what I mean? Like these were their heroes and now their heroes are tweeting negatively about them. So I think it's really tough. And I will say just to kind of finish here, I know I've talked for too long, but one of the big things is that the NWHL think players think the PWHPA has actually pushed them forward to a better place and thinks that there is a future for the NWHL with or without the PWHPA. While the PWHPA thinks that the in most players I talk to, you know, the NWHL is a hindrance. They feel like nobody is going to go forward with a plan for women's hockey while this league still exists. You know, Gary Bettman, uh, NHL commissioner, has said that, you know, he's not going to jump in until there's there's no option. You know, he's not going to pick sides here. So it's it's a mess. And there's a lot of good work being done on both sides. And I don't know where it goes from here. Shereen? I just wanted to bring up, we've had Liz Knox on the show as well before I spoke to her a couple of years ago and former um, Markham Thunder goalie and in the CWHL uh, Clarkson Cup winner. She had tweeted out that because it was recent news that the PWHPA was having changes in the cities where they were being featured and stuff like that. And what she had, Liz Knox had said was that in her, uh, in a tweet was that all the changes were player driven and she just sort of emphasized that, that that was, that's really important. The PWHPA, many of whom are Olympians, national team players, like it's just, they want a certain, they want a certain caliber of it. And I don't believe that there's one way forward. I, I never, ever felt that the NWHL and the then CW or PWHBA could merge. I, I, I personally, as a journalist and a fan, a longtime fan of women's hockey, have never felt that's a solution because the visions are so different. Historically and currently, they're just not like what Danny Ryland wants. And even in the way that the statement was given back to the Victory Press that just read was very different. And ultimately, that's okay. I mean, if there's two leagues or one league and then one other formation of something working towards a league, that's what it is. And I think there's definitely a way to have a, a discussion about this and to support women's hockey, period, which is what I fully intend to do. I'm not like there's going to be women's hockey in Toronto. You better believe I'm going to be there. And I think that it's it doesn't only mean support one thing. This doesn't have to go there. It doesn't have to be like Bundesliga supporters that we support one and wish nothing for the others. That's not what this is. I think we can support as many leagues and that's what my plan is. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment that we like to call the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this weekend sports and set them aflame. And still we have things to burn. It's amazing to me that, that sports continues to give. Okay, Brenda, what is on your pile? <laughs> what is on my pile are the directors of Spain's professional football. After striking last November, all of the women's teams in Spain signed their first collective bargaining agreement. This was just this past mid-February, and we covered it a little bit on the show. And it guarantees 16,000 euros a year for players on full-time contracts, okay? 16,000 euros a year. That's not very much. If you try to live in Spain and you know how expensive it is, then you know it's even less than you might think. So in any sense, they got 
or in any case, they got a little bit more in terms of resources and medical provisions and things like that. And this week, they announced that they were ending the Women's League uh, altogether for this season, but they are not ending the Men's League. So Barcelona is given the championship. They were 21 games into the season undefeated, so it was amazing. Their season was abandoned in mid-March. And I know we have a lot of questions and qualms about when they can come back, but there's absolutely been no indication that they're giving a priority to rescheduling those that they that the Spanish football directors are really you know racking their brains over how to get women back on the pitch not at all so Barcelona Club Barcelona will post for example drivel videos and if I say this you know it shit drivel videos of Leo Messi with a face mask by himself training um, on their grounds right drivel. It's stupid. They play goat goat noises in the background, but do absolutely nothing to actually sit down and try to prioritize women. Just when Barcelona has, after five years, done this amazing season. And so I want to burn the fact that this is one of the most lucrative, lucrative teams, $16,000, 16,000 euros a year. And you're paying transfer fees mm-hmm. for people like Coutinho, ha, 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 in the hundreds <laughs> of millions of euros, just hundreds of millions. That's not his contract. That's not his salary. That's just his transfer fee. And so you can't figure out how to prioritize them. That should be priority number one. And so I want to burn the ongoing sexism involved in how we're bringing football back Burn, burn, burn. So even in the time of COVID, coaches are out here publicly shaming college athletes for the decision to transfer schools. The latest is Matt Painter. He's the head basketball coach at Purdue. He went on sports radio, which is never really a good idea, on Wednesday and was talking about two of his players, Matt Harms and Noel Eastern, transferring. Quote, this is what he said about them leaving. He said, quote, we got better yesterday. That's just so cruel. Can you imagine going to play for a petty man who says something like that about another player? I hope the prospective Purdue players really listen to him. Harms graduated from Purdue and is playing his graduate year at uh, Brigham Young after a difficult year where he was often hampered by injury and saw another player step into his role. About Harms, Painter said, quote, you might have gotten your degree from Purdue, but you're not a boilermaker if you walk out the door in the end. I ask you. What? (laughs) Because this young man is pursuing another opportunity after graduating from the school that you are in theory an educator at? You are publicly disowning him from your community? I think it's just mean. I think this whole thing is so mean. Painter suggested that Eastern, the other player, has a poor work ethic. About Eastern, Painter, Painter said again, publicly on sports radio, quote, the other guys got better, but the other guys also stayed and fought through adversity. Now you walk out the door after you put your name in the draft twice when you averaged four points. It'll never not be gross. When an often older white man who in this particular case makes nearly $2.5 million annually and can leave a school whenever he damn well pleases, wagging his finger at often young black men navigating a system that rarely cares about them off the court academically, financially, mentally, etc. Painter should be ashamed of this fit that he threw against these two, but that would require any of these men to have shame when it comes to how they treat the players they claim to care so much about. So, burn. Shreen. Shreen, what do you want to torch? I want to torch. We'll go down, and Brenda has adequately had Bolsonaro, uh, Yair Bolsonaro, on our burn pile. And I wanted to talk about how football legends, Rai, who is the brother of Socrates, the legendary football footballer from Brazil, and Mauro Silva, who are standing up against him because he's basically, Bolsonaro has been very blasé, which is a very nice way to put it about COVID. And is basically like, he called it, quote unquote, a little cold and says it's been exaggerated by media hysteria. So he has no empathy about anything. Rai did in speaking out very publicly against Bolsonaro and his stats and his status on 
not caring about COVID. He said he doesn't care about the abuse he's received from Bolsonaro supporters who can be vicious and mean. And he said, quote, I've ignored them in the smell of their bigotry. And I'm getting this from a piece by Tom Sunderland from Guardian about this. And I think the the thing here is when you've got footballers that are heroes in those countries and right in coordination with Mauro Silva, they both won the World Cup in 94 and they're involved with the Sao Paulo State Football Federation. They're, they're basically you've got football organizations rallying for the health and safety of people. And when there's a player like when there's the sorry president like Bolsonaro who's out there not caring about the people it becomes to those leaders and sometimes you know we talk about how crappy the spaces are that you know men in power occupy but sometimes you have them radically supporting in ways that are so important now to say that the Brazilian government is hard-headed is so minimalistic and I I just I'm so frustrated when I see this and the same time I'm heartened by the efforts of these footballers, but the fact that this entire thing is being so, you know, recklessly and callously treated by Bolsonaro, I just, I want to put that on the burn pile. Burn. 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 Lindsay, what are you burning? Yeah, well, it's been a little while, so I want to return to the quest for absolute justice in the Larry Nasser case, not just for Nasser, but for his enablers as well. Um, and this past week, there was a step backwards when um, former Michigan State University President Luanna Simon prevailed in charges that she lied about what she knew about Nasser. So a judge ruled that um, prosecutors had not present sufficient evidence to make the criminal case against her to trial. This was Eaton County Judge John Maurer who said this. This is burnworthy for for many reasons, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it short and just give the quote by Amanda Tomashow, who filed the 2014 Title IX complaint that was at the root of Simon's case. So she gave this quote to Dan Murphy of ESPN on the decision to dismiss. She said, "I'm so sad. I can't stop crying. I feel like I don't matter." It's important to remember that the the quest for justice does not just involve the abusers. It's about reforming the whole system. And you can't do that unless you hold the people of power within that system accountable. This was a step back, but I have no doubt that these survivors will continue to fight even though they shouldn't have to. Burn. 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 After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our Badass Woman of the Week segment. Rest in peace to Mary Pratt, believed to be the last surviving member of the original Rockford Peaches of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Pratt died at the age of 101 last week. She was a pitcher who played for both the Peaches and the Kenosha Comets between 1943 and 1947. Also, pioneer female sportscaster Phyllis George died at the age of 70. In 1974, George was hired by CBS and became the first female sportscaster to work at a major U.S. TV network. In 1975, she was named co-host for the NFL Today and kept that job for nearly a decade. She, of course, received a bunch of hate mail for daring to be a woman on a sports program. She later said, quote, I can't help how I look, but below the surface, I was a hardworking woman. If I hadn't made that work, women eventually would have come into sportscasting, but it would have taken them longer. Now our honorable mentions. Cheers to former WNBA players becoming coaches. 14-year WNBA veteran Tanisha Wright will be an assistant coach for the Las Vegas Aces. Wright retired last year, but she has been coaching for a few years at UNC Charlotte. Courtney Paris, an Oklahoma Sooners legend, will return to the school as an assistant coach. She played 10 years in the W, and while a player in college racked up, this is an amazing thing, racked up an NCAA record of 112 consecutive double-doubles. Mandy Cronin, a founder, a co-founder of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, has been named the general manager of the NWHL's new team in Toronto. Congrats to Megan Rapino, who won a Shorty Award, given for the best in digital and social media content in the sports category. Shout out to the Brown Bears Hockey Club, a national network of female hockey players of color who raised nearly $2,000 for the NAACP branch in Anchorage, Alaska. The money will go towards helping the homeless population in Anchorage. Can I get a drum roll, please? (laughs) 
Our badass <laughs> women of the week is the Football Club Barcelona women's team, which has won the league Yay. title for 2019-2020. They would have loved to finish the season on the pitch, but we're thrilled for them all the same. Okay, what's good, y'all? Brenda, what is good with you? Well, ongoing goodness comes in the form of the new cat, Leo. Um, He's amazing. He continues to be super fun. And he caught his first giant black fly. So yay to Leo. (laughs) Yes. Killing a fly, not eating it, and not presenting it, but very neatly putting it in the corner of the room where I can sweep it up. Thank you. Thank you. That's more than my children have cleaned voluntarily ever. (laughs) Also, I want to give a shout out to bestie Jessica Stites for inviting me to a book club. I have never been invited to anyone's book club. And um, people who know me know I've often like been in existential angst about why I am never invited. I would like to thank Lindsay for actually featuring my book in her book club, which was like almost as good. And so we are reading Drive Your Plow Over Bones of over the Bones of the Dead, Woo. which was a novel. Have you read no, it? No, but the name but sounds, sounds like a real humdinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, this is probably why I'm not invited to book clubs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is exactly where I go. I'm like, this sounds super fun. Um, and so it's Olga um, Takarsuk, who is Polish. It was published in 2009. And now it's just been translated, and I'm super excited to read it. So, so I'm I'm excited to read something that has nothing to do with my field and and isn't Latin American, though I love Latin American novelists. Just something really different. So that's good. Very cool. So my what's good? I read an amazing romance novel this week. In case someone's looking for one, it's called The Ray Kess, like Rake, but Ray Kess by Scarlett Peckham. I was I couldn't even breathe for the last like fifth of the book. I loved it so much. I loved recording the Quidditch Patreon segment with Amira this week. It's up right now. Everyone can listen to it. You have to listen to Amira intellectualize about Harry Potter. Like she is brilliant on it. And it's just, I was so happy. I was smiling broadly as we were recording because I just love listening to her. And then I would be remiss if I did not mention that last weekend after we recorded, I made macaroons for the first time ever on my own. And y'all, they were fucking amazing. And I was so proud of them on the, until we ate them all, I would make Aaron go look at them like six times a day. I would be like, look at this thing I made. Like they were so good. I was so, so proud of myself for just using YouTube and making them. And I'm going to make lemon ones next. So I'm very excited about that. Shereen, what's good with you? Ramadan is coming to an end. I will not be recording next week because I will be celebrating. So Eid Mubarak to everybody who is um, and to everyone. I just started getting uh, caffeine withdrawal headaches like yesterday, which is pretty great because we're in like the last 10 days. I finished a beautiful class on self-love and Allah-centered self-love by this incredible woman and a teacher named Angelica Lindsay Ali. She's based in Phoenix. And it was so important because it's getting to me finding spiritual spaces that are really powerful and poignant and women-centered. And that's just been really incredible for me. I got this book uh, that I've been reading. I follow this account on Instagram, R.H. Sign Sin and Samantha King Holmes, our co-writers, the husband and wife team that write this poetry. And it's really beautiful. And I'm glad I have it in my hand because normally I just like repost their Instagram. So it's nice to actually have the book and our table tennis continues. I just want to say on record that I beat both my son, my younger son, Salahuddin and Mustafa last night. And that's just, you know, exciting for me because I like to to do that, to beat my kids, you know, competitively in, in these kinds of sports. We're having so much fun. Like I basically I have a driveway and a, a small garage, but we kind of turn the garage into a table tennis room. So it's just its own space and it's a lot of fun. I didn't think we would have this much fun, I hoped, but it's surpassed any 
any any type of thing and not being able to go out and not be able to gauge and table tennis is hard y'all like it's not easy I was like huffing and puffing after two games also because I'm probably totally out of shape but also it's a very important thing and it's making me think about what we can do talk more table tennis on this show <laughs> lastly I'm literally going there with this um also I'm going to make rose water today I'm started to do plants I acquired a zucchini my sister-in-law have you just sent me a zucchini plant and pea pod plant so basically I'm a farmer I have a lavender plant I have another plant so I have like I have like five plants which is the most I've ever had in my life and I'm really excited about this I'm just very excited because like and I'm gonna make rose water with some leftover rose petals I have so I'm basically like a farmer and a botanist and Mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes so we'll just see how it goes nice thank you Shireen Lindsay what's good with you well, I watched last night, I watched uh, Suber give Megan Rapino a haircut on I could Instagram not, Live. I could not and do it. it. I was le- stressed. <laughs> it was legitimately one of the most dramatic things I've yeah. ever watched in my life. I was on, normally, I even even sometimes great Instagram Lives, like Sue and, and, and Megan's, have a hard time keeping my attention because I watch them on my phone and I'm always wanting to switch to other apps on my phone. You know what I mean? Like multitask. So I'm not great at watching Instagram lives. I could not turn, I could not look away from this one. Like it was, and, and Sue did a great job. Sue did a great job. I thought it was, I was just very impressed. So that happened and I thought I had something else, but I can't really remember, which just kind of sums up where, where I'm at right now. There's just, there's just not a lot. It was, oh, the weather was prettier this week. So that's, that's something. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us. Kinsey Clark is our producer. Shelby Weldon does our graphics and social media. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We love hearing from you all. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor and share it with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. If you're interested in Burn It All Down merchandise, pillows, blankets, hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, tote bags, those kind of things, check out our Teespring store. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash burnitalldown. That's it for now. Until next week, burn on, not out.